When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. And Percy goes, they've got Cyclops in Brooklyn? Which felt like a very New York question of, hey, they got Cyclops in Brooklyn? Hey, what are they doing there? What's the matter with Brooklyn? What's going on here? What's good? Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of The Newest Olympian. My name is Mike Schubert. I'm the titular Newest Olympian. I'm a 30-year-old man who has never read the Percy Jackson books before, but I'm reading them now for the very first time. I'm on a quest to determine if this is a book series that we've all been sleeping on, and I'm not on this quest alone. I am joined by someone who I've known since I was literally five years old, riding the bus to and from school. Now we are adult friends. She's the creator of Breakfast in Beauclair and other podcasts. It's Alyssa Esteban. Alyssa, how's it going? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm glad to be back in New York after one month full of travel where I was in India and the Maldives and then Seattle. I was in New York for four total hours <laughs> unpacking and repacking, un-India-ing my suitcase and then Seattling it. So exchanging shorts and bathing suits for jeans and flannels and then going to Seattle, chilling there. And then my flight got canceled 10 minutes before boarding, which was Yikes. super fun, meaning I stayed one extra day, meaning I was gone for one full month instead of 29 <laughs> days. <laughs> that's that's the dream. That's the freelancer's dream right there. <laughs> yeah, it's great. No, I am glad to be back. I'm in the studio in New York City. Things are going well. How have you been? It's been a little bit since we've had you on the show. I have been very good. I feel like it's been a minute. Although my last episode of The Newest Olympian came out in December, I think we recorded in October. Yes. So there's been a ton of stuff that's happened since then. My podcast, Breakfast in Beauclair, is about the Witcher series, which if you guys listen to that episode, you'll remember. But I got to virtually attend the Witcher second season's red right. carpet in London. Super I got to cool. talk to the showrunner there. I got a staycation from Netflix to like do some experience here in New York and promote the show, which was awesome. Started going through uh, season four of Breakfast in Beauclair, covering The Witcher season two on Netflix. Fun, fun. So that has all been very exciting. Continuing Spanish classes, painting outside, doing all the things. So yeah, enjoying spring in New York for sure. That's fantastic. I'm happy to hear it. And I hope that Disney is listening. Disney. You know what Netflix just did for Alyssa? Yeah, huh? You want it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got time, Disney. The show's not out yet. Get me on that blue carpet. <laughs> I know, right? I, I would bet money that they're probably going to set up a blue carpet for Percy Jackson. I know. I would love to be on it. Uncle Rick, come on the pod. Disney Plus, have me on the blue carpet. Anyway, we are here to discuss more of the Sea of Monsters. When we last left our heroes, Percy had just turned into a guinea pig. So that's a fun little cliffhanger that we left on. And now we are going to resume with Annabeth 
realizing and finding that Percy was a guinea pig. Now, a question I have for you, because you're more tuned in to the mythology of it all. Yes. Did you right away, when it was CC in the spa and there were only ladies there, did you pick up on this right away? Because I, as I said in the last episode we recorded, I knew something was up and I knew I should be catching references, but they were all going over my head. Yeah, so shamefully, I was, shamefully as in the end result, not shamefully at the time, but I was in a one-act play that actually was about Cersei, I think in high school school, and I remembered none of that as I was going oh, no. through this. Um, so, <laughs> so it's one of those things that I was like, I don't think I had paid a lot of attention to the mythology then, but of course, as an adult now, definitely didn't get it, but went to go look stuff up, <laughs> which is the important part, <laughs> is always looking stuff up afterward. Of course. And yeah, it's actually really neat how much one-to-one there is between chapters 12 and 13 for Annabeth and Percy about like the journey of Odysseus and Circe specifically and uh, the scene that I guess we're just going to talk about right now. Yeah. What you've described reminds me of something that I will be doing this weekend. So my buddy Tim is flying into New York and we're going to go see Hadestown together. Hadestown, a play <gasps> that I have already seen when it first went to Broadway. I saw it. I lived in Hell's Kitchen. It was very easy just to walk and go see a show. And at that point in time, I had not played Hades the video game. I had not started this podcast. So my Greek mythology knowledge was very limited. So... People told me, oh, yeah, it's a modern adaptation of the Orpheus story. So I wikipedia that myth so that I kind of knew what was going on. But, you know, I didn't fully appreciate it. But now that I've played the video game and read the books, now I looked back to see, oh, who's the cast? To see who from the original cast is there. And they list all the names of characters. And now I'm like, oh, that, oh, oh, oh. Now I recognize all the names. So now I'm going to get a tenfold increase of appreciation for Hades Town. Oh, yeah. No, because we're on a podcast and I'm literally like a hand away from my mic, I prevented myself from screaming. But <laughs> oh my God, it's a beautiful, beautiful show. And the music is incredible. I loved Amber Gray as Persephone, who I got She's to see um, from the, well, I got to see most of the original Broadway cast, if not all of them. And oh my God, you're going to get to see Andrew DeShields then, who plays Hermes, who's part of the original cast because he's leaving at the end of the month. I'm so excited for you. I am very <laughs> it's excited. It's a beautiful show. If you are listening and you do get a chance to listen to the soundtrack on Spotify or what have you, uh, it's excellent. I've heard really good things about the soundtrack, and I am also delighted by the fact that the guy who plays Orpheus and the guy who plays Hades were originally Spider-Man and the Green Goblin in... Spider-Man, turn off the dark, whatever <laughs> oh, the heck no. that failed Spider-Man Broadway play was. Yep. Big glow up for those two. But yeah, super stoked to see the play again. Yeah. I'm also excited to see if my favorite ensemble cast member, I don't know the if he was there guy? for you. The big rip dude. <laughs> yeah. I love him. He's, this guy must be like six foot five at least. I and think so. And the rest of the cast is all floating around like maybe five feet to five ten. It's yeah. incredible. He is enormous. He is super ripped. And one of my friends from Rice who lived in Hell's Kitchen when I told him I went to Hadestown, my friend who's gay was like, oh, this guy's a big deal in the gay community here in New York. <laughs> like, everybody loves him. Everyone's obsessed with him. Naturally. It's just very fun that his reputation precedes him. <laughs> yeah. If you're listening to the podcast and you would like to see who we are talking about, if you look up any of the cast performances from like the Macy's Day Parade or like anything else, you will see this guy. <laughs> I would assume if you Googled buff big dude Hades Town, he will show up. It's giving me like Tiger on the Train from Zootopia vibes, though, when you put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Let me see. Buff ensemble guy, Hades Town. Let's see if anything shows up. <laughs> LA Times article from 2019. A breakout star of Hades Town and the chorus boys who steal the show. Timothy Hughes, a member of the Hades Town ensemble, says audience members send him messages during intermission. <laughs> Hi, Timothy. <laughs> Hi, Timothy. You're great and you're very tall. He's 6'7". That's at least 6'5". So. You were right. He's a big dude. And now that we've talked about not Percy Jackson for 10 minutes, we can continue to talk about Percy Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> so where we left off, Percy just turned into a guinea pig and Annabeth now comes out after her makeover. And narrator Percy says the following, quote, I almost didn't recognize her. She was wearing a sleeveless silk dress like Cece's, only white. Her blonde hair was newly washed and combed and braided with gold. Worst of all, she was wearing makeup, which I never thought Annabeth would be caught dead in. I mean, she looked good, really good. I probably would have been tongue-tied if I could have said anything except reet, reet, reet in italics. <laughs> but there was also something totally wrong about it. It just wasn't Annabeth. And Look at big puppy dog eyes. Auga, Percy over here. It would not be like a YA comedy book movie anything without a makeover scene. So it right, fits right. into the canon, I think. This is big. <laughs> and because it was so similar to a particular scene that I've read, I just imagined Annabeth walking down the stairs about to attend the Yule Ball because this is certainly <laughs> book four. Wait, Hermione's hot energy. <laughs> So Annabeth wonders, where's Percy? And Cece says that he's getting a treatment. She asks Annabeth about the tour, and Annabeth says that she loved the library. Of course she did, because she's a big old nerd. Cece says that Annabeth can study anything that she wants to become. Annabeth asks about architecture, and Cece says that Annabeth has the makings of a sorceress like her. And immediately, my eyes and eyebrows perked up at saying sorceress like me. And just as I was confused, Annabeth goes, huh? And Cece says, yes, my dear. And then she holds up her hand and a flame appears in her palm and it dances across her fingertips. She continues, my mother is Hecate, the goddess of magic. I know a daughter of Athena when I see one. We are not so different, you and I. We both seek knowledge. We both admire greatness. Neither of us needs to stand in the shadow of men. And now at this moment, Percy tries to make noise, but it's to no use. The other guinea pigs get angry at him. And then Cece pitches for Annabeth to stay and train to become a sorceress, promising her immortality. So the stakes have gone from zero to 100 incredibly quickly. Yeah. I do find it funny that I'm not a big spa treatment massage boy. I've only gone a couple of times when on vacation or at a place that offers free massages. Oh, you're missing out. I get one once a month. I have a membership. It's great. <laughs> That's fantastic. I'm considering doing it now because I've been told about some very good affordable ones in New York City. But I do appreciate that this holds true to my experiences, which is after getting a massage, usually they try to pitch you on, oh, do you want the oils that we used? Or, oh, do you want to get another massage or whatever? There's always some sort of elevator pitch afterwards. Yeah. So Annabeth getting a slightly different one of, hey, I hope you enjoyed your makeover. By the way, would you like to become an immortal sorceress? <laughs> Feels <laughs> like a little different, but I can kind of relate. Just a lowball offer. Yeah. 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 yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Cece tries to dissuade Annabeth from trusting Camp Half-Blood, Asking how many woman heroes she can name. And Annabeth immediately goes, Atalanta, Amelia Earhart, which I think is very funny because the second that the Bermuda Triangle was brought up, I thought, oh, are we going to find out about Amelia Earhart? And we do. 
And what I especially love about this is that Annabeth was ready to list a bunch. She knows all of them, and she was going in alphabetical order. Yes. It's fantastic. It gives me, I don't know if you've seen the movie Ron's Gone Wrong. I love that movie. It's okay. super cute. I've seen trailers, but I have not seen the film. Oh, it's delightful. But one of the running gags in it is that this little robot can only... His database is only full of A things. So it gave me like that kind of vibe of being like, Abraham, Absalom, and going on and on and on. So it's cute. And Cece, like anyone who knows they are wrong in an argument or in a Lincoln-Douglas debate, just stops her short and she says, ah, men get all the glory. And the only way for women to get power is through sorcery. And that feels very restrictive of Cece to say this is the only way that a woman can be successful. Yeah. Didn't like Cece here. Don't like where it goes. It only gets worse. Absolutely. It is ultimately a pitch. Like when people sell you like MLMs and other things, it's like this is the only way. You will never achieve anything like without this thing. Um, So it is, as we had spoken about, like seriously a marketing pitch. Mm -hmm. It's all a scam. Next, she's going to start pitching CC NFTs. RIP the NFT market. (laughs) I mean, no. What's what's the opposite of rest in peace? Like rest in piss, I guess. Uh, Yeah, that'll work. (laughs) (laughs) I have to say one of the things that has aged the most gracefully is I think this was in August of 2021 when NFTs were first on the rise and Potterless was in its final month. And one of my friends who is a very nice guy, but unfortunately a crypto guy, but just in the using it to make money and not thinking that NFTs are going to save the world and Web3 and all that stuff. So still bad, but not the worst. He was trying to convince me, oh, you should make some Potterless NFTs to celebrate the end of the show. They're going to be this big thing, blah, 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 blah. And I said, I don't know. Feels kind of sketchy. I think I'm just going to stay out and see how things go before committing. And boy, oh boy, has that aged super well. Shout out to late 2021 Mike Schubert for seeing the writing on the wall. (laughs) It's super awkward. (laughs) We're just going to let that quietly die by Mm -hmm. itself elsewhere. (laughs) Where it deserves. Anyway, CC continues, Medea, Calypso, now they were powerful women. And me, of course, the greatest of all. And then Annabeth puts it together going, you, CC, Circe. And I was kind of correct because in last episode I said this feels like anti-M vibes yeah. where it's an acronym for something. But again, I had no idea. And Circe is a name I recognize as a Greek person, but could tell you literally nothing about them. Luckily, I have all the information for you by the time we get to the end of the section. Yeah, Amazing. <laughs> whoop, whoop, whoop. I knew I could trust you with it. So Annabeth backs up in fear after Cece confirms that she is in fact Circe. And now I can finally start saying Circe because every time we've recorded this. I keep wanting to call her Cersei, but I kept saying Cece to avoid the plot twist. So Cersei tries to assure Annabeth that she means no harm. Annabeth asks about Percy, and Cersei says that he has become his true form. And on that note, Annabeth locks eyes with guinea pig Percy, who I have written in my notes as GPJ, and he is scratching at the cage bar while the other guinea pigs menace around him menacingly. (laughs) As the guinea pig does. I can't imagine being Annabeth in this moment and just having to put the pieces together as to what is going on. It seems pretty odd, I suppose, that this spa has a cage full of guinea pigs. But to make the leap that, like, oh, crap, I think that's my friend. There must be some defining characteristic on this guinea pig. (laughs) Some sort of riptide, like, (laughs) pattern on his back. Or maybe a little lightning something or other. I don't know. The hair is particularly messy. 
I think it's probably a combination of the sketchy answer given when she asks where Percy is, plus even if Annabeth doesn't know Cersei's deal with the guinea pigs because it's not like they walked in and she saw the guinea pigs and said, wait a second. But at least Cersei must have some sort of reputation that clued Annabeth into thinking it. And she does. Yeah. yeah. But hey, maybe when you're really close friends, when you know, you know, and you can just see that guinea pig and know that is Percy transformed into a guinea pig. (laughs) So Percy notes that Annabeth also has a bit of a dreamy look in her eyes, so she's not fully snapped out of whatever trance Cersei's got going on. Annabeth murmurs that she needs a minute to think. Cersei nods and assures her absolute privacy by waving her hand and bars go down over the windows and the doors all lock. Annabeth then rushes over to the cage after Cersei leaves the room, which feels like a big mistake from Cersei. And then she goes over to the cage and says, all right, which one is you? Which is fantastic. Gotta love this. Percy is hoping that Annabeth will do what he was trying to do earlier, which is get Riptide. And Annabeth sees the pile of clothes, but instead of going for Riptide, she goes for the bottle of vitamins instead and eats a lemon one. Much to Percy's dismay, he's very upset by this choice. Cersei then comes in and sighs, saying, well, how fast a minute passes. What is your answer, my dear? And then Annabeth says this, and she draws her bronze knife. Love that. Annabeth is one for the theatrics and the action movie tropes. Fantastic stuff. I mean, it'll translate really beautifully on screen, if or when they ever get to this. And for Cersei, you know, this is a 12-year-old girl who just drew a knife on her. And this is a woman who is thousands of years old and has complete control over sorcery and magic. And it must be startling to think that a 12-year-old may have anything on her. Right. The fact that Annabeth has brought a knife to a magic fight (laughs) makes Cersei laugh, and she sneers, really, little girl? A knife against my, in italics, magic? Is that wise? And by specifically asking, is that wise, it made me think of when someone calls Marty McFly chicken in Back to the Future, where Annabeth would go, no one calls me wise except for my friends and Clarice. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Gotta add in Clarice. <laughs> <laughs> so Cersei's gang then starts to raise their hand, preparing to cast spells. And Cersei says that she's going to turn Annabeth into something, something small. Oh, a shrew. And she tries to wrap Annabeth up in blue fire. But much like a normal type Pokemon against a ghost type, it's not very effective. It doesn't do anything against Annabeth. Annabeth then leaps forward and strikes Cersei's neck, saying, How about turning me into a panther instead, one that has her claws at your throat? And uh, that didn't land, Annabeth. You could have done better. (laughs) She's trying. She's under duress, I think. (laughs) She's trying. Now, I did workshop a couple of different options that she could have said instead. She could have said, you shrewed up that one. She could have said, looks like your spells didn't quite cut it. She could have said, knife try. She could have said, why don't you take a stab at another? She could have said, you don't seem to be a cut above the rest. There's many puns available. And just to say, why don't you make me a panther, didn't feel great. Especially because panthers have many claws and she's only got the one knife. I don't know. (laughs) Felt like a big dud here from A.B. Yeah. When she reaches her dad joke goals, well, you should revisit this scene. Okay, yes. (laughs) So Cersei asks how this is possible and Annabeth shows her the bottle of vitamins. And that causes Cersei to say, curse Hermes and his multivitamins. Those are such a fad. They do nothing for you. Yeah. Which I think is very funny. Annabeth demands that Cersei turn Percy back into a human and Cersei says, she can't. And that causes Annabeth to say, well, 
Then you asked for it. I was going to say, could I throw in stuff about the vitamins? Oh, please, please throw in stuff about the vitamins. When I started looking into this, well, when I was looking into Circe as like a mythological being, period, Mm -hmm. one of the things that came up was her interactions with Odysseus. And from what I could gather from like a lightweight search, we know from mythology that Circe was able to use drugs and cantations to change humans into different animals, most notably swine. Hence, the guinea pigs, which I think we get to at some point. And so apparently Odysseus visited her island uh, with his companions, but then she changed all of his companions into swine, but he was immune because Hermes had given him some sort of herb. The name of the herb is, I think, Molly, M-O-L-Y, uh, uh-huh. <laughs> just one L, okay. or Molly, <laughs> so eventually was able to compel her to turn them back. And eventually, turns out he actually stayed on her island for about a year and actually had children with her. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. So it does have mythological precedence, what Annabeth is doing here. That is very cool. Good to know. So Annabeth then drags Cersei over to the guinea pig cage and pours all of the vitamins inside. And Percy gets the first one. He chews on it until he returns back to his human form. And then six other guinea pigs follow. And I was imagining more than six guinea pigs in the cage, but I was also imagining more than seven vitamins in the vitamin bottle. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like you need at least 20 to 50 to fill out a vitamin bottle. Right. I feel like they come in 25, 50, 100, and 200 count bottles. Yeah. I don't know if Annabeth left a bunch in there. I feel like if there were leftovers, you'd want to scoop them back into the bottle. Clearly, these things are very useful. I don't know if you want guinea pig fluff in there, (laughs) back in there. Very true. Very true. (laughs) Might smell pretty bad. Cece screams, no, you don't understand. Those are the worst. And now, because of what you've said, this makes more sense because I wrote, what, is she sponsored by Big Pharma or something? She only likes particular pills. I don't understand her hatred towards these things. But now you've cleared it up. So thank you very much. Yeah. I mean, I think it's also less the pills and more toward these guinea pigs who will find out who they are are also the worst. So I think it's definitely both sides of that. Mm-hmm. So then narrator Percy says, one of the men stood up, a huge guy with a long tangled pitch black beard and teeth <laughs> the same color. He wore mismatched clothes of wool and leather, knee length boots and a floppy felt hat. The other men were dressed more simply in breeches and stained white shirts. All of them were barefoot. And what's very funny about this is before the reveal happened, I was tuned in to reading this section because a couple listeners have sent me in some you should read these pages in front of a microphone to get your live reaction and then not giving any sort of context. So shout out to listener Isabella who told me to read the ending of this chapter in front of a microphone and now I will splice an audio of me reading the Blackbeard reveal. He wore mismatched clothes of wool and leather, knee-length boots, and a floppy felt hat. The other men were dressed more simply in breeches and sandwich shirts. All of them were perfect. What is this guy, Blackbeard or something? <laughs> it is Blackbeard. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> okay, so I need to tell you about my notes. Please do. Because all they say right here is in all caps, bold, yellow highlight, our flag means death, I'm weeping. (laughs) I'm very excited to start this show. I have not watched it yet because it released while I was in India, a country that does not have HBO Max. So I will now be watching it when I am home. HBO Max is not paying me, but if you want to pay me HBO Max, let me know. Get them on the blue carpet. (laughs) Yeah, get me on the purple carpet, HBO Max. Let's go, baby. (laughs) I adored 
our flag means death. I watched it with one of my close friends, and this poor man just had to listen to me, like, screaming all through the whole <laughs> series <laughs> of just being like, no, this space between, what is this? I don't know how much you know about it. I don't know how much you want to know about it, but there are definitely listeners out there who've watched it. I don't want to know anything. All I know is gay pirates. Okay. And that's about it. And I think maybe it's made by... The guys who do what we do in the shadows? Yeah. Well, it's at least made by Taika. Got it. Yeah. Gay pirates, queer stories. Love to see it. Love to see ensemble shows. I went straight from Our Flag Means Death into Heartstopper on Netflix. Oh, wow. Quite the queer story month for you. Oh, my God. It makes me so happy. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you've seen Heartstopper, but I'm obsessed. I love it so much. I have not seen it. I'm not a big TV guy in general, but... It makes me happy that the show is apparently very good. It's four hours. You could get through it. It's super easy. See, I could, but I also could watch two basketball games. Hmm. And it is the playoffs. That is really what has took a big hit into any other TV watching in the past couple months. It's the NBA playoffs, and these playoffs are very, very spicy. I'm having a good time. The playoffs (laughs) are now and only now. Those shows will be there afterwards. So come talk to me in June, television. I've got an appointment with you. I did watch Moonlight on the flight home, so I am still accidentally participating in Alyssa Esteban's Queer Stories Month. I've only accidentally seen episode five of Moonlight. Of Moon Knight. Oh, sorry. I said Moonlight, not Moon Knight. Ew, I said Moon Knight. Sorry. That's okay, but hey, if Moon <laughs> Knight is also a gay story, let's go! <laughs> Unclear. I only saw episode five. <laughs> Oscar Isaac's in it, so we'll all just interpret him to be in love with us, no matter who we are, because right. that's how Oscar Isaac works. <laughs> Oscar Isaac is gay pirate. I'm already seeing it all over Twitter. They're into it. I'm into it. He would commit. Oscar Isaac should be casting everything. I mean, yeah, obviously. <laughs> if a single person said, I don't really like Oscar Isaac, I would be terrified. I met someone recently who said, I don't like Tom Holland that much. He seems annoying. Oh, honey, sit And down. I was very confused. <laughs> I did later get to know this person better, and she was incredibly boring and annoying. So, man, kind of checks out. But I don't, very confusing to me. RIP, sad takes. Uh, (laughs) The the one thing about uh, Edward Teach, because, you know, I just kind of go on a brief little journey through the internet whenever I look stuff up here. Edward Teach, name of Blackbeard, as we will learn in two sentences. Yes. So, Blackbeard, uh, when I briefly went to go like Wikipedia him, the article's so long. Like it's so long. I was like, there's no way I'm reading all of this. Long like a beard? <laughs> As I was scrolling, only one sentence caught my attention. And I don't know why they started a paragraph like this, but it's like two thirds to like three quarters of the way down. And it just says, despite his infamy, Teach was not the most successful of pirates. And I completely <laughs> disregarded everything else about the article. <laughs> that is great. We love to hear that someone who's uh-huh. world renowned is actually incompetent. Oh, it's my favorite. <laughs> So Annabeth recognizes him and confirms he is Edward Teach, son of Ares. Love this. I want nothing more than to learn more of people either in real life or pop culture or whatever who we then learn are actually demigods. Mm -hmm. That, I think, is the best. I would read an entire book. If Rick just put out a book that was, here's a thousand famous people and who their godly parents are, I would read it and have an ear-to-ear smile on the entire time I was reading it. I'm here for this. Which historical figure would you expect or want to be a demigod? This is like the cooler version of if you could have dinner with anyone alive or dead, who would you have? (laughs) I want to pick someone who has intrigue about them. I feel like the hilarious answer would be like, 
Seth Rogen being the son of Athena and he just likes crafts and that's that. Yeah, I feel like there's much better answers, though, that aren't celebrities. Clearly, Beyonce is not human. Beyonce must be a demigod. Like a daughter daughter of Apollo or something, maybe. Right. Maybe someone like Paul Rudd who hasn't aged. Maybe he's a son of Aphrodite where he just hasn't changed looks-wise for 20 years. That's impressive. That'd be cute. Jeff Goldblum would be interesting so that I could figure out how to age gracefully because that man gets hotter every year. It's so (laughs) impressive. How does he do it? How is it possible? Well table this and mm-hmm. come back to it. <laughs> <laughs> so Blackbeard commands his goons to attack Cersei, and then he expresses that he would like to have a big bowl of celery, so clearly he is holding on to his guinea pig traits. He's been that way for hundreds of years, so it makes sense. The pirates chase off the magicians, and this does sound like a sporting event, like pirates versus wizards, which would be, I guess, if the Pittsburgh baseball team played against the Washington, D.C. basketball team. But then Percy starts to apologize to Annabeth, who hugs him, stopping him short mid-apology, and she says that she's glad he's not a guinea pig. And if that's not true love, then I don't know what is. You and Kelly, I mean, there's that. That is also true. (laughs) I've never told Kelly that I'm glad she's not a guinea pig, but maybe I will go home tonight and say, by the way, I'm very glad you're not a guinea pig. No context. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, she'll probably get it. She has read the book, but it has been a little bit. And she's already on the fourth book in Heroes of Olympus. How far are you, by the way? Because you blitzed through. Oh, I read 10 books in, what, two weeks? Like, before I even got on the first episode? Like, and then I just kept reading Heroes of Olympus over and over and over. I think I'm in the minority that I think I prefer Heroes of Olympus to the first five books. I've heard a lot of people say that they like it. I don't think that minority is too small. So I think you're okay. You're in some good company. Okay. Now, Percy says, me too. And then narrator Percy says, I hoped my face wasn't as red as it felt. And the love is becoming more apparent. Affection is being shown publicly, privately as the narrator. I'm very invested and I'm very excited. Annabeth then undoes the golden braids in her hair and says, come on, seaweed brain, we have to get away while Cersei's distracted. So the pirates are absolutely wrecking the place as Annabeth and Percy approach the dock. All of the ships seem too daunting to control until Percy gets his eyes on the old sailing ship. And he can just feel inside that he knows that he can steer it. So they board it, and it is the Queen Anne's Revenge, which is Blackbeard's ship. Lol. Of course it is. Of course. Blackbeard then screams in disgust as he sees them stealing his boat, and the pirates then fast approach after them. Percy closes his eyes, and he channels his water powers, and then he says, mizzenmast? I also looked this up. Okay, yeah, what is this? (laughs) So according to Google Images and diagrams there, the mizzenmast is the mast toward the back of the sailing vessel, the aft side. Mm. If there's three masts, the mizzenmast is the third one. If there's five, it looks to be the fourth. Okay, good. I figured it was either boat term or Greek term, but the only thing that I could think of was that mizzenmast kind of sounds like mise en place, which is very different. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> it sounds like something that you should shout with a wand. Oh, yeah, that could be a spell for sure. But... Mise en place is the way to go. And if anyone isn't a big cooking boy like I am, that is the French term when everything is already measured, cut, peeled, diced, sliced, anything like that. All your ingredients are good to go. Shout out to when Kelly and I team up for dinner sometimes. She will mise en place everything because she likes chopping and nothing else involved in cooking. And I like everything that isn't chopping. So 
Teamwork makes the dream work. Mise en place is the way to go. True love isn't being a guinea pig. <laughs> it's not being a guinea pig, and it is mise en placing for your cooking husband. <laughs> so Annabeth is as confused as I am when Percy says, mi, mi, I almost said when Percy says mise en place. Annabeth is as confused as I was when Percy says mise en mast. But now, thanks to Alyssa, I know what it is. But the sails perfectly go into place and the ship is fully at Percy's command. It responds to him as if it is a part of his body and they hit the sea of monsters just as the pirates approach. And now we can take a little break for the sea of sponsors now that they are sailing across the sea of monsters. Bow, bow. <laughs> <laughs> bubble, bubble, bubble. <laughs> bubble, bubble, bubble. Lake noise. Yeah, shout out to when Bettina was putting together the song. I believe it was Lake Noise 6 or something for the <laughs> splashing. All our homies love Lake Noise 6. <laughs> love Lake Noise 6. Hate Luke, love Lake Noise 6. Batten down the hatches, raise the sails, we're going across the sea of sponsors. First, if you want some TNO merch, there's a couple different ways you can get some TNO merch. You want shirts, you want riptide pens, you want some stickers, you should go to thenewestolympian.com slash merch and check out the official merch store. But if you want some exclusive pins, exclusive stickers, and exclusive holographic stickers, you want to go to thenewestolympian.com slash Patreon because as a Patreon perk, you get these wonderful physical rewards in addition to lovely digital rewards such as bonus episodes, monthly live streams, director's commentary, my notes, and more. And just a final reminder, if you're listening to this on the day it came out, that means I'll be in Phoenix live doing a Potterless Live show two days from now on May 18th, 2022. It's going to be a blast. We're going to be making fun of the Harry Potter iPhone game. It's going to be a hoot and you can get tickets at potterlesspodcast.com slash live. You could go to that website to see where else I'm going to in 2022 and just something to keep in mind if you want to see a The Newest Olympian podcast live show, well then you might want to clear out August 24th if you live in or near the New York City area. That is not official yet in that tickets are not available for sale yet, but my booking guy says it's looking pretty promising. So just a very much into the future date to keep in mind. But that's going to be a really fun time. And once that is official and tickets are live, I will be announcing that from the rooftops, baby. And earlier, I mentioned the show's Patreon. I want to thank all the folks who have supported at thenewstolympian.com slash Patreon, making my very strange job a little more normal. And I'd like to give a shout out to the most recent folks who joined the team. So shout out to our newest ultra god tier patron, Molly Snyder. Shout out to our newest mega god tier patron, Jana Lee Hutchings. Shout out to our newest super god tier patrons, Marina Lomax and Zoe Miles. Shout out to our newest god tier patrons, Haley Brooks, Taylor Johnson, Jules Rules. Yes, both of those have double S's and damn judo flip and shout out to our newest demigod tier patrons Pandoff, Abby Wilson, Bailey Elise, Annika Leitner, and Just I Jess. Thank you all so much for your support. May Hermes bless you all with making sure that nothing you ever send or receive get lost in the mail. And also I want to thank Multitude for having us as a part of the collective. If you are all caught up on the newest Olympian, you could listen to a bunch of other Multitude shows. They're all wonderful. I make a bunch of them. There's Potterless, my Harry Potter podcast. There's Horse, my comedy basketball podcast. There's Meddling Adults, a game show where I host and guests compete to solve children's mysteries from Encyclopedia Brown, Scooby-Doo, and more for charity. And if the public podcasts aren't enough, you could go the next step and you could join the multi-crew. And if you join the multi-crew, you get access to exclusive podcasts, not open for the public. Only multi-crew members get access to them and 
one of the things you can hear is Head, Heart, Gut, a friendly debate show where me and other multitude podcasters debate in a friendly, silly manner about the most important things in various categories, from comic book things to movie things to food things to everyday life things. And if you go to multicrew.club, you can join and get access to that and a whole bunch of other fun stuff. And finally, before we wrap up here, you're going to hear words from a few sponsors who make it feasible for me to be a full-time podcaster. Some of these ads will be read by me. Others of them won't. The ones that are not read by me are inserted locally. So if you live in Phoenix, Arizona, don't be surprised if you hear some sort of ad saying, hey, go see the Phoenix Suns. They're doing really well in the playoffs. And once those ads are complete, we'll get back to this episode of the Newest Olympian. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. And we're back. We're talking about chapter 13 now. Annabeth tries to swim home. And this made me upset because they just got on a boat. Why would you try to swim home? Can't we just have one chapter where things go well? Is that too much to ask for? In a YA book? A hundred percent, yeah. <laughs> just one chapter. We eat a good lunch. Something. So my prediction here, and I have not finished reading chapter 13, so I don't even know. But my prediction here is that there is some sort of monster attack that knocks Annabeth from the boat and she needs to swim to safety. So the home is not literally swimming home. Mm -hmm. Or maybe she gets possessed or something and then by being possessed, she literally tries to swim back to Camp Half-Blood and Percy has to stop her from doing so. Or Virginia, if that's home, those are my two guesses. Okay. And it depends on if home is literal or figurative. But anyway, we get into chapter 13, where Percy is absolutely thriving as the captain of Queen Anne's Revenge. I'm so happy that Percy found, like, title case, like, a thing for himself. Good for you, Percy. You go, Percy. <laughs> he found his thing. It's so nice when you find your thing that you are just accidentally good at. It's so obscure. How many times is he going to get on, a, like, an 18th century sailing vessel? I don't know. Well, I do know, but for the moment, like, it doesn't matter because he's found something. Right, and this is why I encourage everyone to try a bunch of hobbies and sports because how else are you going to find out that you are the next best Olympic handball player if you never play a game of handball? How are you going to know if you should be in rhythmic gymnastics unless you do some ribbon dancing? So I appreciate that Percy has found his thing. Maybe he can enter the sailing competition in... The summer games. That would probably be cheating. 
Yeah, it would probably be cheating. He would have to be like Dash in The Incredibles where he'd have to intentionally come in second place. I also don't think sailing is in the Olympics yet. I remember there was a guy when I was in college who dropped out of school because he was really into sailing. And yes, this guy, shockingly, was white. And he did that so that he could train for the Olympics. But then sailing didn't become an official sport. So he dropped out of school for no reason. Huh. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, on that note, there's probably a ton of Olympians who are demigods. Uh-huh. I mean, it's in the name. Yeah. It's in the name. And it's in my Google Alerts notifications because I do have Google Alerts for the newest Olympian in case anyone writes about the show and an article or something like that. But every now and then, there's some people writing about the Olympics and it will say, the newest Olympian so-and-so. <laughs> and <laughs> the SEO just doesn't quite hit. And I was contacted by... One of the guys from the original Jamaican bobsled team that they made the movie Cool Runnings about because clearly their PR person was emailing every Olympics-based podcast because I think this guy wrote a book or started a podcast of his own and was doing a press tour. And it is the saddest email I've ever had to send, which was, I appreciate the offer, but my podcast is not about the Olympics. I don't want to make you sad. I would love to talk to this person, but I feel like it is not worth your time for what you're trying to accomplish here. I think it would have been hilarious for (laughs) you to have had them on. (laughs) Hey, so we're going to talk about chapter 12 of The Titan's Curse. Did you read it by any chance? Oh, no. You rode a bobsled famously 20, 30 years ago? Oopsies. But if they did bring, like, the vigor of the Olympics to a children's book analysis, I would have been here for it. Right. If I get into a part of the series where they bobsled or there are Olympic games, I will reach out and say, hello, I have an excuse for you to be on my podcast. I promise it's about the Olympics now. Read this is the zero context. (laughs) (laughs) So Percy absolutely crushing it as the captain. Narrator Percy says, we plowed through the waves at what I figured was about 10 knots. I even understood how fast that was, which is such a funny add-on to put, because when I read that sentence, I thought, how fast is that? Great, great, great. And Percy, as the narrator continues, for a sailing ship, pretty darn fast. So I decided, let's see. 10 knots is apparently 11 miles per hour, and the average speed of a sailing ship is between 4.5 and and 7 miles per hour. So, not too shabby, Percy. Doing a very good job. So now that they are safely away from danger, all Percy can think about is how much he misses Tyson and how worried he is about Grover. Percy, a great friend, a true friend. We love this. We stand this. We're so happy for this. Percy also then, because when you're alone in your thoughts, what else do you do besides regret every bad decision you've ever made in your life? He regrets how foolish he was back at Cersei's, and he's fixated on one thing that she said in particular when she said that he is now his truest self. He's self-conscious about this because now he feels jumpy and scared, and he wonders if this is now a part of him or if it was always there, and now he's aware of it, and he's worried if he doesn't have the courage to be a hero. Yeah, I mean, I pulled that quote, too, because I feel like self-doubt is so human. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's so human. And when you look at, like, a hero's journey, there's always a point of doubt. And, you know, seeing Percy as a hero and seeing him as a 12-year-old boy, demigod status aside, it's something that everybody who is or has been that age has experienced in their lifetime um, and continues to, for sure. (laughs) I really do appreciate that acknowledgement uh, that Percy has here. Yeah, I mean, it's a feeling that I, someone with imposter syndrome, totally can relate to and understand. So I see where Percy's coming from. That night, Annabeth is getting seasick, so she goes below deck to lie in a hammock. 
Percy sees monsters as he looks out into the horizon. So this does confirm that before when they were on the lifeboat and they saw something green and scaly, that that's just how the sea of monsters works because, you know, it's called the sea of monsters. So the sea has monsters in it. Now, after midnight, Annabeth comes above deck just as they are passing a smoking volcano island, and she identifies it as one of Hephaestus's forges where he makes metal monsters, and then she instructs Percy to go around it, far around it, which is very good navigation advice. After avoiding it, Percy then just cuts straight to the Annabeth chase and directly asks her, why do you hate Cyclops, and what really happened? How did Thalia really die? Annabeth decides that she's going to tell him because she feels that he deserves to know, so she reveals that the worst of the wrong turns that Groover took on their way to Camp Half-Blood was into a Cyclops' lair in Brooklyn. And Percy goes, they've got Cyclops in Brooklyn? Which felt like a very New York question of, hey, they got Cyclops in Brooklyn? <laughs> hey, what are they doing there, though? <laughs> What's the matter with Brooklyn? What's going on here? What do they got Cyclops I mean, in Brooklyn well, for? Brooklyn. I don't know. <laughs> Brooklyn over there. They got no public transit. Everything's overpriced. And now they got Cyclops? We got pizza. We got Cyclopes. We got Greenpoint. <laughs> They're charging $15 for avocado toast over here. They've got IPAs everywhere. And now they got Cyclops. What are they doing over here? <laughs> Annabeth responds, you wouldn't believe how many, but that's not the point. And Annabeth, as someone that's not a big fan of Brooklyn, I would believe how many. I'm also recording this in Brooklyn. Annabeth continues, this Cyclops, he tricked us. He managed to split us up inside this maze of corridors in an old house in Flatbush. Of course it would be in Flatbush. And he could sound like anyone, Percy, just the way Tyson did aboard the Princess Andromeda. He lured us one at a time. Thalia thought she was running to save Luke. Luke thought he heard me scream for help. And me, I was alone in the dark. I was seven years old, I couldn't even find the exit. I remember finding the main room. There were bones all over the floor, and there were Thalia and Luke and Grover tied up and gagged, hanging from the ceiling like smoked hams. The Cyclops was starting a fire in the middle of the floor. I drew my knife, but he heard me. He turned and smiled. He spoke, and somehow he knew my dad's voice. I guess he just plucked it out of my mind. He said, now, Annabeth, don't you worry. I love you. You can stay here with me. You can stay forever. And... That's super spooky. Super spooky. Percy spooked. I'm spooked. We're all spooked. Yeah. And to be seven years old and to not even have the experience of like being in this world, in this mythological world with the context. Like obviously she knows what a Cyclops is, but to actually encounter it and have to fight it is an entirely different story. It's one of those things like I can't even believe she had the guts to go through with attacking them and helping everybody escape. Mm -hmm. It's really incredible. But it's a very, very sad kind of origin story for Annabeth. Although I do appreciate that I'm getting all of the Thalia lore between my last episode <laughs> when they were sitting in that little uh, van with the zoo animals. One of the first times we heard about Thalia and then now. So that's fun. <laughs> it is fun. And the whole element of pretending to be someone in danger and then actually being the person that you are trying to run away from is the scariest horror trope. And I say this as someone who is still trying to recover from the scene in Spider-Man 1 where the Green Goblin pretends to be the old lady wrapped in the shawl in the fire. Shook me to my core, still shakes me to my core. That's just so scary when someone can mimic voices and pretend to be someone in distress and then, uh-oh, it's the villain. Ugh. Ugh. Yeah, it attacks one of your most primal instincts, which is trust. Mm -hmm. Like, you want to be able to trust someone. You want to feel safe. You're searching for that. Mm -hmm. And yet, that is then exploited and taken advantage of. So it's incredibly, incredibly terrifying. Totally. Percy then asks Annabeth what she did, and she says that she stabbed the Cyclops in the foot. And that impresses Percy because she was seven. Annabeth admits, oh, 
I totally would have been killed without help, but the stab distracted the Cyclops long enough so that Annabeth could cut Thalia free, and then Thalia took things from there. So Annabeth blames herself and the Cyclops encounter for Thalia's death because it was a detour that allowed all the monsters who had been chasing them to catch up. And this feels very Survivor's guiltish of Annabeth. I don't think she's being completely fair to herself, but that's the nature of feeling guilty even if it's not truly your fault. So Annabeth tells Percy to go below deck and to get some rest, and Percy does, but it takes him a while to fall asleep because he's thinking about the story and how brave Annabeth must be currently to willingly face another Cyclops given how harrowing of an experience she had at such a young age. And of course, because Percy's about to sleep, we are now getting into Percy dream time. Yay, these are always fun and not terrifying. (laughs) So he doesn't dream of Grover this time. Instead, he is back in Luke's stateroom in the Princess Andromeda. There are spirits of the dead whispering around him, saying, beware, traps, trickery. And I thought, okay, but can we trust the spirits of the dead? They feel like they would want to lie to him, but I guess we can, given what happens next. I need you to know that Mike is making spirit fingers behind his microphone at the moment, (laughs) (laughs) trying to decide if we should trust spirits or not. You know, it's what we got to do. I'm well-versed in spirit fingers from the one time that I did cheerleading at St. Gregory the Great for Spirit Day. You, cheerleading master, both of us, flyers, because we were both incredibly short. I was a cheerleader for nine years between (laughs) grade school and high school, um, and I was always and still am quite schmoll. Yeah. Yeah, so was a flyer for that entire little career. I was a flyer for my first and last cheerleading routine because I was almost always the shortest kid in school. I believe I was 5'1 or 5'2 when I graduated eighth grade. But there was also Garrett Hoover and Chrissy Dalhagen. Yes. Shout out to those two for making me not the shortest in the class. You and I had not seen each other between eighth grade and then college when I was in New York for an improv festival. Oh, yes. We graduated grade school. 2006. That was nine years. Mm -hmm. The first time we saw each other after you moved from Jersey, I think was in 2015. Right. So at that point, I'd become my height today, which is six foot even. And you were very surprised when we met up that I'd become a tall boy since I was always a short boy. I am still (laughs) 5'2". You know, I ate my vegetables and you clearly didn't. (laughs) Genetics have nothing to do with it, clearly. It's all on me. (laughs) No, I had a huge growth spurt between my sophomore and my junior year of high school. And the way I found out was in our home in Texas, we have like a hanging light fixture thing that when we moved in, if I stood on my tippy toes, it would touch the top of my head. And it was in a place where if I was going from one room to the front door, if someone rang the doorbell, I would just run through that room. And there was a time during that summer when the doorbell rang and I ran and I said, I'll get it. And I hit that light right between my eyes and it made a very loud noise. It didn't break, thankfully. And my parents said, oh, my God, are you okay?" And I said, yeah, I grew. I was very excited (laughs) to learn. And it explained why I went through three pairs of shoes and a bunch of clothes in one year. Because I was growing very rapidly. That's why my body hurt all the time for a full year. (laughs) (laughs) I can't relate. (laughs) I'm growing in other ways. Less painful ways, but emotionally painful ways. (laughs) 
<laughs> you're growing as a person. Your brain is growing. Anyway, the Kronos coffin is glowing, which is not good. Don't like this. And it only gets worse because a cold laugh resonates through the room and Kronos says, you don't have the courage, young one. You can't stop me. And Percy uncaps Riptide and goes to open the coffin because he just has this instinct. I must destroy what's inside the coffin. And then the ghosts circle around Percy saying, beware. So I feel like we can't trust the ghosts. But then Percy hears a girl's voice next to him say, well, seaweed brain. After Percy pauses, he hesitates a bit. But when he turns and looks, it is not Annabeth. It is someone in the most 2006-2007 way possible. <laughs> Wearing punk clothes, silver wrist chains, and she's got spiky black hair with dark eyeliner around stormy blue eyes and freckles on her nose. And if this is Thalia, oh my God. I was, <laughs> I was not predicting Hot Topic icon Thalia. I was just going to say, she's our anonymous Hot Topic queen. Whoever she is. <laughs> I was not expecting her to be Raven, Darkness, Dementia. What is it? The the person from My Immortal? Raven? I don't want to. Uh, oh, no, let's the see. callback that no one asked for. Oh, sorry. My apologies. <laughs> Ebony, Darkness. Yes, there's an apostrophe between the K and the N. Dementia, Raven Way from My Immortal. The only good Harry Potter fan fiction. The only one I will ever read. Stop emailing me about all the young dudes and Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality. I will never read them because I've read the perfect one. It is My Immortal. The. My Chemical Romance-themed spoof on Harry Potter fanfiction. It's perfect. But yeah, Thalia having Hot Topic energy, I did not expect, but I'm so here for it. Now, if this isn't Thalia, I don't know who the hell this is, but it's got to be Thalia, and I'm really excited. Now, continuing back because Alyssa has taken the zipped lips emoji approach, which is the correct course of action here as a guest on the newest Olympian. Amazingly, my hands are not moving. <laughs> That's how you know I'm really trying. Knowing where we grew up and how much we talk with our hands, that is the most impressive thing you can do. Wait, can I tell you that there's a video of me on a video podcast just gesticulating on my Hinge profile, and somebody actually messaged me, are you from New Jersey? Did you grow up in an Italian place? And I was like, oh, no. And I wrote back, I was like... Do you listen to Mike Schubert's podcast? Yeah, I mean, I do I do preface a lot of sentences with I grew up in a very Italian part of New Jersey. <laughs> Turns out he does not. His I guess his mom also grew up where we grew up. Okay. But yeah, that was I felt very hurt in that moment to be so seen and so spotted. You should ask him if he or his mom pronounce Mary, Mary, and Mary all differently, because Central New Jersey is the only place it does that. Hey. Which is good. Words mean things. Anyway. Who I think is Thalia here asks Percy if they're going to stop him or not. And Percy is too stunned to answer. She rolls her eyes and says, fine, leave it to me and Aegis. And when she said Aegis, I got very excited because this is a Greek thing that I actually know about because, surprise, surprise, everyone say it with me, Hades the video game features Aegis, the Shield of Chaos, as one of the weapons you can play with. And it is my preferred weapon of choice. I am so good with the shield in the game. It is when I first beat the game and all of the major accomplishments you can do in the game. I first did with the shield. I love the shield. I'm very excited. The Shield of Aegis is also my favorite art piece, as I've talked about in the podcast before, which I saw in the Uffizi Gallery in Italy. It's the one that's got Medusa's head on it. It's very cool. I was very excited that Thalia wields Aegis <laughs> because I don't know much about Aegis except for that it's my favorite weapon. But if Thalia is the wielder of it, oh, 
yes. So I obviously looked this up. I think that's just going to be my <laughs> trademark catchphrase yep. every mm-hmm. time I come on <laughs> the newest Olympian if I am so blessed just to be here more than twice. You are. The Aegis was the magical. It's either a breastplate or a shield. Um, in Greek mythology, it can appear as both. I don't know if it can appear as both or if it appears as both in different contexts. I don't know if it transforms. I do know that one of the forms in Hades the video game, because there's different aspects of it where it has different versions, mm-hmm. one of them is more breastplate than shieldy. So that holds true to my very limited knowledge about Aegis. <laughs> it's more chesty than handy. Yes. Nice. And so apparently, like, it is the breastplate or shield of Zeus that he, I guess, lends to Athena um, in honor of her role in principled warfare. Okay. Very, very fun. So I was very excited. So she says, fine, leave it to me in Aegis. And her wrist chains transform into Aegis, which is very cool and very Power Rangers or Yu-Gi-Oh of her. I mean, and a transforming bracelet is, like, kind of more convenient and kind of cooler than a pen. (laughs) Infinitely cooler. Great. I think the only way it gets cooler would be if it was a slap bracelet, but this book takes place in the mid-2000s, not the 90s, so I get it. (laughs) But Chains, she's a Hot Topic girl. We get it. It holds true. Aegis is silver and bronze with the monstrous face of Medusa protruding from the center as if it's pressed into the metal. Percy looks away from it just in case, which I thought was very funny, and he gets the sense that whoever is wielding the shield must be made nearly invincible by it. And if that's true, based on how good I am at Hades' video game when I got the shield, yeah, that that holds true, baby. I'm nearly invincible when I play with the shield. So this unnamed girl, Thalia, draws her sword and approaches the sarcophagus. She pushes aside the golden lid and stares into it. It glows, and she says, no, it can't be. Kronos laughs from the depths of the ocean so loudly that the whole ship trembles, the girl screams no, and the sarcophagus engulfs her in golden light. Percy wakes up bolt upright, because of course he does, in his hammock. And now I'm trying to think, what could this be? Yeah, I was going to ask. Perfect. Glad that was your instinct. (laughs) That's also bold, all caps, highlighted in my notes. What does Shubes think is inside the box? (laughs) So... I have been saying for many, many episodes now that I feel like Thalia is coming back. Okay. I thought they were going to do something like saving the tree, and then she was going to turn back from a tree into a human. Now I'm worried that the poisoning of the tree and now the sarcophagus, they said that inside Kronos's body was reforming. That's at least what Luke said. Now, Luke could be lying. I wonder if what's happened here is that instead of Kronos slowly reforming, into the sarcophagus, whatever is poisoning the tree is slowly sucking Thalia out of the tree and putting her life force into the sarcophagus. And much like Aqua in Kingdom Hearts 3, maybe she will emerge as evil Thalia and then they will have to do something to convert her into good Thalia. But my guess is that the Kronos being in the coffin is actually a misdirect And that would at least make sense of why they poisoned the tree. Aside from, lol, let's just poison the tree because I don't like Camp Half-Blood. So that would be my big home run swing of a guess here. Okay, so we've got like 
Walia. Whoa, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I'm into the theory. <laughs> right. And that's why Thalia would say, no, it can't be because she opened the sarcophagus and what's inside? It's me. <laughs> Walia. <laughs> yeah. not. I'm thinking not separate person, but actually Thalia. But yes, okay. evil Thalia, dark Thalia. Like we have dark Link, evil version of Thalia, shadow Thalia, whatever you want to say. I think that Luke and them are hoping they can bring her back to life and have them on their team. But I feel like it's going to backfire and they're going to get Thalia back and then she's going to join the Olympic team and that's how it's going to end. That's my big swing guess. Luke needs allies for sure. Mm -hmm. No matter where you are in the series, like that's always really clear. Yes. Especially because he starts this journey alone in The Lightning Thief. Yeah. So seeking out allies, even seemingly impossible ones, seemingly dead ones, is certainly like a direction that his character could go. Yeah, and it's certainly something that would make sense if they are trying to upset Zeus because Thalia is a daughter of Zeus. So that would clearly tug on the emotions of the guy whose Olympic empire they are trying to topple. Mm -hmm. We'll see. That's at least my guess. So Annabeth is above Percy when he wakes up. And the reason that she's waking him up is because he was having a nightmare. And I think this is a bad reason because Annabeth, his nightmares are always plot relevant. Come on. You want to let him have these dreams because then he can tell you what's to come. <laughs> Seems like poor decision making. <laughs> anyway, Percy asks what's up and Annabeth says land is ahead, the island of the sirens. And I know enough about the sirens from watching Oh Brother, Where Art Thou to know that they are bad news. And that could be why we've got a situation in which Annabeth is going to try to swim home. We've got some danger afoot. But that is the end of this episode of The New Olympian. We will pick it up next time. But Alyssa, thank you so much for joining for this episode. Yes. Thank you so much for inviting me on yesterday. Oh, yeah. Thanks for filling in for a last minute cancellation. <laughs> yeah. Friendship. Yeah. <laughs> I can get talked into anything. True friendship <laughs> of podcasters is being able to drop anything to talk about a children's book series on a Wednesday afternoon. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's more productive than me watching Heartstopper for probably the 13th or 14th time this last week. So <laughs> I don't know if this would be too ominous because I know you haven't like obviously read anything past this. So I'm not going to go into any of the lore about sirens and stuff. We just heard that they were about to get on the island. But I do want to leave you with something to consider for the rest of chapter 13. I've not read past this page, so I'm excited. When Annabeth is talking to Cersei at the end of chapter 12, one of the things that Cersei tells her is, your friend will be well cared for. He'll be shipped to a wonderful new home on the mainland. The kindergartners will adore him, uh, which I loved. I love that line. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But Cersei also tells Annabeth, meanwhile, you'll be wise and powerful. You will have all you ever wanted. And I love the appeal of that to Annabeth. I think that that's just a really interesting thing to think about as you move forward in chapter 13. That is very exciting. That is the perfect level of ominous without giving anything away. I'm intrigued to read the rest of this chapter and talk about it in a future episode. But if people want to find you doing stuff, where can they find you? Yeah, so you can find me at breakfastmoclair.com, which is the home for Breakfast Moclair, a global Witcher podcast. On it, we discuss the Witcher series by Andrew Sikowski, as well as the Netflix show, and all of the incoming spinoffs, such as 
Blood Origin, the next anime film, and the upcoming children's show, like, hard question mark. Whoa, okay. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so that'll be super duper uh, when that comes out. Uh, If you would like to join me across social media, Breakfast in Beauclair or Beauclair Pod on Twitter, you can join me and my listeners on Discord as well at bit.ly slash the Hans Discord. It's a lot of talk about The Witcher, but also, like, I've been talking nonstop about Heartstopper and Our Flag Means Death in there, so, you know, come as you are, of course. (laughs) And if you're interested in urban sketching around New York City, I'm also on Instagram at It's an Art Journal as well. Okay, fantastic. I'll have to follow that. I didn't realize you made an account for just that stuff. So I'll have to check that out. Yeah, it's super fun. And I'm excited to take it on the road with a couple of trips in Dublin and Boston and Orlando this year. And I'm still working on executive producing an upcoming audio fiction series uh, called Peculiar Radio. So keep a lookout for that uh, with Lengthy Tangent, our production house. Yes, all fun stuff. Well, Alyssa, thank you so much for joining, especially on such short notice. And listeners, thanks for listening. And until next time, when we figure out whatever is going on with the sirens, I'll pursue you later. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The News Olympian. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Mike Schuber. I also run the social media and the website. Our editor is usually Sherry Guo, but she had finals this week, so good luck on the finals, Sherry. I edited this one from start to finish, so if you have any editing complaints, send them to me, baby. Not Sherry's fault. The music is by Bettina Campamanes and Brandon Google, and the art is by Jessica E. Boyd. If you love the show, you cannot get enough of the show, you need some more, you can go to thenewstolympian.com slash Patreon, and you can get access to more bonus episodes, monthly live streams, the Discord, so much fun stuff, all at the News olympian.com slash patreon and speaking of the patreon want to give a shout out to our producer level patrons lada bartova kelsey gillespie the damn steam nuggets emma kui vicky garcia ellie Hauskovchova, veronica bartova Haley hastings robin garcia frida vikstrom megan moon tough bayfong moo moo productions don't call me nymphadora olivia y craig mcroberts taylor payne giselle salvador minka dreesen can't i seaweed brain matt barger peter johnson the twin sabrina balsiger bony pony getting stoned with smelly gabe heather mcmillan casey canales polly burge nikki harris tatiana schmidt sandra rose bridget lowry josh sayer percy blue josh wilkie abby ryan shannon yvonne's aguilar Wise Girl, Alpacas Are Hope, Milo TZ, Roxas 1912, Rafaela, Ashton Gabrielson, Cara Marin, Colby, Marco Redhouse, Falcon, Joey James, Christopher William Boucher, Justin Lux, Caden Max, Sam Sam Ruby, Carly Allen, Riley Kitas, Mary Kelly, Audra McKenzie, Mrs. O'Leary, Marina Foose, Aaron Wood, and Tyler Hendricks. Now, if you want to support the show, but in a non-monetary way, first you could follow us on social media. We're at News Olympian on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We also have a subreddit, reddit.com slash r slash the News Olympian. And then you could talk about us on social media. That really helps. Word of mouth is really huge. Or you could leave a rating and review on whatever podcast app you're using. So Apple Podcasts or Spotify let you rate. If you want to rate us, leave a nice review. That's really nice. But honestly, the biggest thing, word of mouth, if you think of someone that would love the show, reach out to them directly and say, hey, there's this podcast. There's this guy. He's reading the Percy Jackson books for the very first time. I think you're going to like it. Here's a link to it. That is huge. All of these things help. And I'm appreciative to all of you who have done it or who will do it in the future. But I'm just so thankful that you listened to this episode and hope you tune into our next episode where we finish up chapter 13 and get into a good chunk of chapter 14 with another repeat guest, Stephen Para. But until then, I'll see you later. Hey everyone, how's it going? It's me, ASMR Mike. So I wanted to use this time to say that I have figured out how to fix the problem that sparked ASMR Mike to begin with after long, lengthy email chains back and forth with my podcast hosting website, as well as the 
people behind the apps that were struggling to not cut off the remaining couple of minutes of episodes of The New Olympian. I figured out what the issue was, and then I talked with Brandon Grugel about how to fix it. So we are able to fix it. I do not need to exist anymore, but that is okay because I think if I didn't exist and there were no more ASMR mic segments in the show, people would riot. So even though I am not necessary, I am here to stay forever. So these segments will always exist, even though they serve no technical purpose anymore. Now I am here purely for enjoyment purposes. So now you can just imagine me always recording these in a bright, vibrant, floral pattern shirt. Anyway, I hope you've enjoyed. Thank you for listening. And I'll see you next episode and every episode until the end of time.